When we consider bone health in the system for restoring immunity, there are two extracts that come to my mind and that we often consider. There's one for mature and aging adults, which is mountain pine. And when we think of children and young adults still growing, we consider silver fir. And that's the topic of today's podcast. I'm Lauren Hubele. I'm an expert in gemotherapy and a health educator. And I'd like to welcome my co-host. Teaming up with me today is herbalist Terry Brooks. Welcome, Terry. Hi, Lauren. Hi, Megan. Everyone that's joining us, greetings. I'm very pleased. I'm sitting in the middle of a rainstorm. We haven't had really any spring rain at all. So things have been surviving, but not thriving. This will be a great addition to to my growing season today. Yeah, beautiful, Terry. Glad you could be with me. And acupuncturist Megan Limp. Hello, Megan. Glad you're here. Hi, Lauren and Terry and everybody joining us. It is great to be back with you again. So Terry, you're going to be telling us today about the silver fir as a tree. And if you do have run into any issues with your um, storm coming, just flip that video off and we'll be able to keep going. So what can you tell us about the silver fir tree? Well, I have never met this tree except for on a Christmas tree plantation. And, and that's the only place. And I think it was kind of sad there, but it wasn't nearly the height or the strength that this tree usually has. This tree's in the Panaceae family. It's a large family of conifers, which includes pine, cedar, Norway spruce, hemlock, larch, and probably some others I'm forgetting. Um, the Latin term for it is abies alba. And I always like to talk about where that comes from. Abies is Latin for rising one. Okay, we talk, we'll talk about the height of this tree and just the metaphorical sense of rising, I think is interesting. Alba, of course, is white. And that refers to the two white stripes on the bottom of every single needle on this tree. It's a large evergreen growing 130 to 160 feet tall or taller. And it grows at altitudes of 300 to 1700. Um, I'm sorry, that's meters, 580 to almost 6,000 feet. So it is one of the most important native forest trees in Europe's mountain regions. And that covers most of Western and Eastern Europe. It also is commonly grown on Christmas tree plantations in North America. It is grown, um, I should say it grows because it's doing it itself. It's not taking our use, but it grows in a broadleaf mixed coniferous forest. And it needs moderate shade and it needs moist but well-drained soil. So it grows in almost any soil type if those needs are being met. It has a very deep, strong root system, which can break through the rock on the mountainsides. Its lifespan is up to 500 years. So we have a big longevity and strength kind of theme going on here. It is a pyramidal shape and it has smooth gray bark, but it has pockets of resin all the way up the tree. The leaves of this tree, often referred to as needles, of course, are flattened, thick, really glossy green on top, and the underside has two kind of whitish stripes on every single needle. So 
Terry, I know you've been doing research on this tree. Um, what kind of historical evidence have you found of uses for the tree? There's so many uses, and some of it is quite confusing, to be honest. First of all, um, practically, it has been used as an essential oil. So the resin from this tree is extracted, and it is a source of turpentine, and even a particular kind of turpentine called Strasbourg turpentine. The pine-scented oil is also used for perfumes and bath products, rosin for stringed instruments, and also as aerosol inhalants in many kinds of things. The wood is quite strong, but lightweight, light-colored, fine-grained, and um, it's even textured, and the fibers in it are long. So the timber is mainly used for construction furniture, plywood, those sorts of things, and paper manufacturing. Now, when we get to the confusing part, when we go back to Celtic and Druid use, there are some sources that say this tree is one of the Oum letters in their secret alphabet, and it's referred to as Aelm. It sounds a lot like Elm, but it's Aelm, A-I-L-M. Other sources say this Aelm is really a Scotch pine. Most sources saying that they're both so similar that they're virtually indistinguishable and interchangeable. But we know that these two conifers were the first trees to inhabit the earth. They were the first trees to make it to land, if you will. And that makes them so similar throughout prehistory that they are much more closely related than any other two trees. Um, and so in this Oum alphabet. It's designated as being significant to the winter solstice. And that date has changed as they've changed the calendar over the years from Roman to Gregorian to Julian calendars. But right around the 22nd, 21st of December is um, when they celebrate this tree. And its theme is impetus, motivation, breaking new ground, vitality, strength, and longevity. I think both of you will talk more about that. Um, the symbol of how life continues through the harshest of seasons and the darkest of times as the sun's journey is already swinging back towards us again. When this tree is cut down, the, the roots that remain will produce new shoots along the, the bottom. So it's again a sign of regeneration, um, rebirth, if you will. And as a result of that, the Celtics and Druids would bring branches of this tree into their home around winter solstice to signify, you know, the regeneration, the rebirth, the sun's coming back, and things will continue this growth. As in many other trees that we've talked about, um, this sort of pagan belief is often co-opted by the Christian religion. And so in order to kind of put the kibosh on those pagan rituals. They assign a Christian symbolism to it too. So this is where we get our Christmas tree um, practices from. We bring it inside and again, it shows regeneration and rebirth. I, um, I guess that uh, it is also a tree because of its height. It is often deemed um, usable by the Celtic shamans and shamans of other cultures as well. Because it is so tall, it ascends, it's, um, we're in touch with the upper realms and all the spirit world 
up there and uh, above the mundane distractions of everyday life, let's say. So it would enable a shaman to find solutions and predict um, what might happen in the future as they ascend this tree or the, uh, the spirit of the tree. Some, some of them actually go into trance and imagine themselves climbing the trunk of the tree. And there are a lot of myths about that. I mean, even myths about um, a Roman or Greek goddess telling her lover to break her bones, to kill her, break her bones and use them to climb this tree, use them as stair steps. So some of those get really <laughs> grisly and gory. But the fur in Greek and Roman mythology was um, associated with the moon. And I think, again, that's a reference to those white underside of those needles. And Artemis was the goddess in charge of this. They also, um, in European tradition, mainly, I would say Germany, Britain, some of those, they use uh, this tree in a lot of fairy tales, more than I can recount usually involving giants, fairies, or dwarves. <laughs> so there, I'm sure there's many books written about those, those stories. I thought it was really interesting that um, a lot of cultures use this as a smudge, if you will, to burn and cleanse uh, spaces. But particularly in Scotland, they had a ritual called saining, S-A-I-N-I-N-G, where a newborn and the mother would be circled with a fur candle and the resin from the fur, of course, three times to help protect them, to bless them, to offer them long life, health, and, and um, you know, just a, a good, healthy, long, strong life. Wow. Wow, Terry, there's so many ties to the uses of that historically and how we may perceive it today. Fascinating. So when you look at the tree itself, are, are there things that are particularly significant that you think when we think of medicinal uses for it? It's been used in a lot of ways, as you ca can imagine, um, particularly because of that resin that has had applications in respiratory health also arthritic and rheumatic conditions, um, joint pain and so on, neuralgia. It also has been thought to increase blood circulation to many parts of the body, which would reduce pain. The fur tips themselves have vitamin C and a lot of electrolytes in it. It was compared to Gatorade in one text I read. Huh. <laughs> but there's a lot of really current research, like from 2015 on, Slovenia is investigating a chemical from it called, they're calling silver fur trunk extract, and they're studying it for its cardioprotective effects. And there are also clinical trials ongoing in a study on using it in a topical cream for skin conditions, um, including wrinkles and age spots and so on. Somebody's going to make a lot of money when they, when they figure that one out. Sure. <laughs> um, for, also for sun protection. But um, it was interesting that nowhere other than gemotherapy texts did I find any reference to how we're using it in gemotherapy, except for the fact that I still come back to the strength and longevity part of this tree. And I think that points us to many possible uses. And now we know that there are probably quite a lot more.
Yeah, Terry, thank you. What You're rich welcome. sources of information. Yeah, my mind is going in lots of different directions here. That, that keynote of where you started is with the name of the tree, meaning rising one, that absolutely connects me with our use for this because this is for children during growth periods and, and throughout their growth periods. And, and then these words that you related um, have been associated with the tree of motivation and breaking new ground and strength and vitality. These are all what we see Silver Fur has to offer for children in their protocols. Um, you know, I didn't use Silver Fur um, very often in my practice. I had other extracts that I felt a strong, stronger affinity to. And until I met a Romanian doctor um, who is a pediatrician, Dr. Campion, actually, who studied with me. And she is a strong believer in the um, power of silver fur in young children and what it can do when given in between their acute illnesses. And, and it really made me look again at an extract I had kind of put aside. So let, let's take a look at when we have the extract of silver fur in gemotherapy. It has a primary action of, as a harmonizer. And that harmonizing is for the metabolism of both calcium and phosphorus. And what this action does is encourage calcium to adhere to bones and teeth, which providing strength, just like you talked about with the tree, right? Providing strength and vitality. So it provides strength during the growing years from early childhood right up through young adults. The secondary action of silver fur is as a tonic for the immune system. So there again, that connects to so many things that you talked about, Terry. And this as a tonic for the immune system, it particularly works with bone marrow and it stimulates the formation of red blood cells of course, then leading to overall immunity. Now we see silver fur as the children's remedy. And um, in, I think we certainly have, may have more to explore there, but we have a, um, a relative of silver fur, the mountain pine that we're going to look at for adults. And, um, but any child during um, their rapid growth periods would be who we see as good candidates for silver fur. And whether um, or not they have a slow or weak immune response would also be another condition we would look at the use of including silver fur in a protocol. And I remember when we're building protocols for children, we're supporting their adrenal glands, we're supporting elimination. So silver fur comes in there as an extra to that protocol. But where I have seen absolutely miraculous results with silver fur is in its acute action, acute support for bones and teeth. I've even seen it resolve minor tooth decay in children. So before we go and um, have these cavities drilled, I think doing a course of silver fur for your children as well as correcting some other um, integral parts of their system, like their pH balance, would be helpful. 
uh, I find it um, useful now for as an excellent support between acute occurrences for overall immunity, particularly during cold and flu season. So um, that's how I see silver fir as an extract. Um, I think there's one more state that we I didn't mention, and that's any cases of chronic anemia, which I bet you might talk about, Megan, and your as you look at it through the Asian medicine lens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, silver fir is at the top of my list. I really have fallen in love with this extract, particularly, as you said, related to pediatrics. And I have seen it do really some remarkable things. And I love that we're all bringing a different perspective because boy, this is a really special extract. Um, it's a deep-rooted tree, as Terry was saying. And it's also, as Lauren was saying, a support for the kidney system. And we know that in Asian medicine, kidney is considered our deepest energy. And any time that a shrub or a is noted as being really deep rooted, I always right away suspect that there might be a special relationship with kidney energy because kidney is the body's ability to grasp and to ground almost like the roots of our human tree. And then kidney facilitates development and verticality and growth from that deep-rooted stability. So it really, we can see how this really inhabits silver fir. I also love, Terry, what you said about this being one of the first trees to inhabit the planet, because I, I have seen a sense of silver fir almost helping kids inhabit their bodies. Mm -hmm. um, and sort of coming into their own. If we look at kidneys function as the roots of our human tree, we then also understand how the kidney energy develops into the internal structure of the body. It transforms into our marrow and then marrow differentiates into our bone marrow, our spinal marrow and our brain marrow. And we can see this relationship of silver fur to marrow in its support as Lauren and Terry were saying of growth and development of children and also support of dentition and all dental issues. We can see the support of marrow again in silver fur's ability to blood and to synthesize red blood cells and to effectively support anemic states. So let's look at kidney's relationship to blood in the body. In Asian medicine, you've probably heard me say this, that all life is a manifestation of chi. And the primary source of chi is from our digestion and our breath. But there is a secondary source of chi that is housed in the kidney, and we call that our essence. And it supports and operates almost as a savings account for the body that we tap into when we need extra support. And this is sort of how I've seen silver fur work. We can tap into it when we need extra support. It's this essence from the kidney that combines with the chi in the body to form our blood. And so we see how the body sustains itself. The chi gives life and movement to blood and the blood nourishes the body and the organs that produce chi. And this round and round function, again, is how the body sustains itself. And we can see the support of chi and essence in silver fur's ability to help, again, with the formation of red blood cells and therefore it supports our overall immunity. 
So if we relook at all this quickly, it becomes clear how silver fur is such an excellent pediatric formula. It shores our foundation. It supports growth. It supports dentition and mild dental issues. It supports bone repair. It builds blood and it supports our immunity. So I think about this for kids who maybe need a little constitutional support that kid, kidney can offer. Kids who maybe, as Lauren said, are going through something with growth, a rapid period of growth, and they just need a little extra nourishment and support. Or kids who are susceptible to viruses. Again, as Lauren said, when they're well, between these episodes, we can use silver fur so that they stay well and that they thrive. Wow, wow. Beautiful. Thank you, ladies. Thank you for contributing to that. Megan, if someone would like to learn more about Asian medicine, where would you direct them? Yeah, there's a great book on the Intro to Asian Medicine Philosophy, which is the web that has no weaver. If you'd like to talk to a practitioner in your area, you can Google NCCAOM and search by zip code to find someone in your area. If you'd like to learn more about GEMOs from an Asian lens or find out more about my practice, AccuLamp.com. Wonderful. Thanks. And Terry, where would you have them learn more about trees? Well, you know, I've just realized that there are several online groups that deal only with conifers. So just Google that, um, Conifer Lovers Group, and you will find <laughs> a whole bunch of people that really specialize in, in these particular plants. Oh, wow. Fascinating. Thank you. And if you're interested in learning more about chemotherapy, please take a look at my website, laurenhubelay.com, um, where you will find some blogs, more podcasts, and um, some classes, which I hope you drop into. So thanks, ladies, for making this so special today.